Hello, I'm John Waters, and I'm supposed to announce there is no smoking in this theater, which I think is one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard of in my life. How can anyone sit through a length of a film, especially a European film, and not have a cigarette? But don't you wish you had one right now? Mmm, 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 mmm. And I'm telling you, smoke anyway. It gives ushers jobs. And if people didn't smoke, there would be no employment for the youth of today. So once again, no smoking in this theater. Nobody, nobody that I'm going to see will will listen to this, so that's fine. Um, True. I, I, so you know, Hot Fuzz, the the grocery store owner, who's spoiler alert, actually oh, one of the big you bad have guys. told me this. I think this is one this of is the best Halloween idea. costumes I've ever heard. Right? But no, everyone's going to be like, "What the fuck?" I know. No. It's, it's it's. I had the idea, and I'm like, "This is going to kill for like three yeah. people." You oh know, my the, god! The, the scene that's memed where he's in the grocery store and he's smiling. He goes, and there's the picture behind him smiling exactly. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to get like going to wear like you know a blazer, or whatever. Going to get like a little wire frame little thing that then holds up a picture right behind me of me smiling in Not the exact same pose. Yeah, it's, that's my I think plan. That's, on, honestly, not, and you know how I hate to give props to Aaron. That might be the best Halloween costume I've ever heard. It's really, it's really good. It's, it's, here's the thing. Two people are going to get it. Yeah. You know what I mean? But it, it's, like the funniest, two people. it's the funniest visual gag in maybe movie history, right? Like that's one of the funniest the, no, fucking... The f- Moments. Uh, <laughs> the funniest visual gag is the Big Lebowski chair, but that that sure. may be a number a number two. <laughs> I, I've actually Diane, uh, we were at the we were at the music box. Diane and I were seeing one of the movies in the garden, and they were playing the Big Lebowski. They have they have like two old timey fucking like big chunky ass TVs playing like VHS tapes twenty four so seven in there. Fuck. And uh, Diane was like, "Is that the Big Lebowski?" And I looked up, and it was like a scene I didn't really recognize. I was like, oh, "I don't think so." And then sure enough, she's like, "I think the chair scene is next." <laughs> I was like, why do you know that? Because she's seen it like once. And she's like, you just never shut the fuck up about the chair scene. <laughs> so I just know what it looks like. And sure enough, yeah, it was the chair scene. Fantastic. Which is my favorite. That is my favorite scene. Yeah. Dana, go on the pod. She remembers. Yeah, she remember she remember remember, yeah. If we ever we do go. like an Agatha Christie, we have to have her on. Agatha, right? uh, a Poirot, a Poirot one for sure. Um, yeah. A Haunting in Venice? Some movie. I would actually be fascinated change. to hear her talk about those because she's kind of an expert, right? She look. She's hosting a hosting a, a birthday party right. about it. Yeah, yeah. No, there you go. Um, <laughs> you yeah, we're, I think we'll go see the new one without being an expert. <laughs> I've unfortunately heard the new one is good. Uh, that's me that's too. What it's I've heard. One of the uh, have you great really? shocks of modern Hollywood. I think Hollywood the, still the has some surprises is, up its sleeve. The first one is like a perfectly acceptable, like bad. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's movie, passing. and it, it'll the make second one is. Yeah. A massive poo poo dog shit, shit as an Cody incredible say. piece of uh-huh. shit. I, I think there is definitely this is an instance of folks grading on the curve appropriately because it is like the first two being poo poo dog shit. You can only really go up from there, um, Jason, with the appropriate cue. Um, you think the yeah, third one's like a solid three and a half out of ten, and everybody's like, "Oh, that's pretty good." It's, <laughs> right. This is like the, they're the, not looking the at the y axis appropriately. Food poisoning didn't kill me this time, right? So I'll exactly. give it you know three stars on Yelp. <laughs> You know, yeah. ah, the the red lobster uh, curve, specifically oh. that one. <laughs> maybe Never maybe that's lobster. just me. Yeah, it could, it could uh, be too hairy a specific I reference. With red yeah. lobster. I've gotten food poisoning from red lobster. I once puked up an entire shrimp. It was one of the more traumatizing experiences. Like a whole shrimp. You know? Oh, you like mean like I just, undigested shrimp? Yeah, I, I just like, like the looked down into the toilet, and there there she was, still swimming. Do you have trouble eating shrimp? 
Do you? I do now. I sh- no, I'm not a huge shrimp guy anymore because of that. It sucks. That is the one Damn. thing where you see it come out and you're like, yeah, That's can't wrong. do that anymore. Goes can't, against God, nature, right? Which sucks because of like, uh, like Asian food that has like a combination of like pork and sure. chicken shrimp and fried shrimp. rice is incredible, yeah, fantastic. Like yeah. the, con- but, the triple combination fried rice. That's, yeah, I can't do it anymore. Whoo, Simply whoo, can't times. do it anymore. I, I went to an Italian place in Denver. Just a quick thing, like a pesto, gnoc- like fried gnocchi mm-hmm. with uh, yeah. Fucking sounds good. He like does the butter, back of the like throat buttered, G in the word gnocchi. That's gnocchi. the gnocchi. 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 It reminds me of uh, you remember in. Uh, sorry, I, I'm interrupting your story to tell a different worse story in the social story. network. Uh, Jesse Eisenberg, as uh, um, Mark Zuckerberg, refers to something that he said as a glottal stop. I think about the the glottal stop all the time and that I, I was in a linguistics class and i learned what a glottal stop actually was and i was like holy shit fincher's a genius <laughs> never think about the jason now we're G back again. to yours we're back to mine uh i, ate, I, I ate i ate some really good food in denver when i was out of town uh that was just that's all i was gonna say i i wanted to give the italians a little bit of credit too because harry praised asian cuisine and he denigrated red lobster seafood i, I just want to like rebalance the scales. The Mediterranean is yeah. kind of what they're doing with some There's a big well. like Italian food scene in that area, is my understanding. Um, I'm not sure about that, but the place we went to okay. was a really fuck, funny, like. I uh, also, I like what I famous culinary underdogs. The Italians <laughs> really, really needed extra Put shout some out. respect I, on the fucking I just, name. <laughs> I've heard about a lot of good Italian food in that region, and you know what? I, I get. I, There's I, a lot of good Italian like food, food everywhere. It's it the seems best. like the type of food that maybe would not translate as well to like this kind of center. You know, it's like. Uh, it's like mm. fresh seafood sort of situation in the center I'm, of the country. A lot of people make that joke about sushi and like right, right. in the Midwest states. Landlocked states. Yeah, yeah, yeah. True. I, I am hearing yeah. more and more that uh, Denver is is sort of the Midwest of the West, though. Uh, maybe spread that one around. If if you if you start um, talking about Denver or get into a conversation about Denver, maybe drop that one. It's a sign that you really know what you're talking about. Um, Midwest of the West. Again, that's the Midwest of the West, Denver. Uh, just repeat that as much as possible. Thank you so much for listening. To, Sounds like uh, a Christopher Guest joke you just made. <laughs> like you would again, go to again. a small town and it would be called the Midwest of the West. <laughs> Christopher Guest, another director we've covered on this podcast called Try Love. Thank you so much for listening. It's a literal roundtable podcast where we talk about movies we saw or people we met at the Trilon Cinema in Minneapolis, Minnesota. You can find us on Twitter at Trilove Podcast. You can find the Trilon at Trilon Cinema and at Trilon.org. Get tickets and showings, uh, information about showings and series and merchandise and all other cool ways to support the Trilon there. Uh, my name is Jason Daphnis. G-Doof to you. And you can find me on Twitter at Nintendoofus. I think about you when I go to the bathroom. I'm Cody Narvison, and you can find me on Twitter at Cody underscore BH. I'm the worst kind of person, a know-it-all who's sometimes right. I'm Harry Mack, and you can find me on Twitter at PunishTake. My name's Aaron, and we're not going anywhere until we record this podcast. You can find me on uh, Blue Sky at Arden Police. Uh, Never God, s- hey, all that shit. Solid, by the way. I would give really that like solid. a. Yeah. yeah. It's not, <laughs> the problem with Harrison Ford, I mean, real, real quick, I mean, just not another digression, but the problem with Harrison Ford is that you can, it's very easy to do like a shitty but acceptable, like older Harrison Ford, but like young Harrison Ford is very subtle in a way that's tricky. Yeah. You know, especially Harrison the Ford one yeah. interviews talking about Star Wars is like grumbly. Yeah. Great. Fine. Well, you just got to put a little bit of tremor into your voice, like, you're shaking with rage at all times just sort of like a yeah yeah you know
especially for this movie where, uh, well, we'll talk about it. Um, you can check out movies like this at the Trilon's website, trilon.org. I think this is the second to last in the series from Peter Weir. Check it out at trilon.org. But there's a lot of cool other cool stuff between now and the end of the year. Um, we have seen a preview of next year's, uh, early next year's schedule, I believe. I'm forgetting the whole schedule series uh, season. But Are we um, allowed to snitch? I don't. I, I don't really want to. I think this is privileged you know, little asshole syndrome that yeah. we're getting into. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I'm, that I'm everybody who listens to this podcast is actively also, volunteering yes. at the nope. Trilon, nope. so we they have, probably already know. <laughs> we have some uh, some outside listeners as well. Uh, I don't know. I don't know about that. Um, but check it out at Trilon.org. Uh, check out the actual summary of the movie uh, here, right here on the podcast in about two or three seconds when Aaron gives the patented Aaron Grossman summary. Yes, indeed, folks. Oh, damn. Get you do that every time. Uh, we're talking about the Mosquito Coast 1981 film directed by Peter Weir, uh, written, should mention, by Paul Schrader. Uh, shout out to all the Schrader heads. I guess maybe just Harry. Harry's Woo! biggest Schrader head, probably. There we go. <laughs> Based on the novel of the same name by Paul Thoreau. Uh, the film follows an intelligent, uh, let's say, weird uh, inventor, Allie Fox, <laughs> played by Harrison Ford, um, who is... Uh, to put it simply, sort of disillusioned with modern American life. Um, and he drags his family uh, eventually out to the Mosquito Coast uh, in Central America um, as he has kind of this idealized image of living in tune with nature. Um, things initially go maybe surprisingly quite well, actually, uh, largely due to Ali's uh, excellent skill as an engineer. Uh, but the rougher elements uh, of his family's um, kind of more experimental lifestyle begin to creep in and eventually push him uh, him and his family to the breaking point. Uh, Helen Mirren, also in this film, as Margot, Margot, Margot uh, Mother Fox, uh, River Phoenix as Charlie Fox, Conrad Roberts as Mr. Hattie, and Andre Gregory as Reverend Spellgood. There's other members of the, his family, but I think that's kind of a good list there. Um, that's all I think that's all I wrote, at least. I'll say the, the film, I guess, I'll wing it off the top here. Uh, the film was not especially successful, uh, was actually did not make money, uh, was a flop financially, was that's not a, critically That's what we call a successful. Schrader classic. It didn't yes. make any money. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, so it, it uh, I think, is, is kind of over time come to be regarded as a, you know, maybe a, a guess a bit of a cult classic or a film that is, was kind of, you know, maybe underappreciated on the release. Uh, Harrison Ford himself uh, is often in interviews called it his favorite thing that he did. He's defended it quite heavily. Um, so I think it has been kind of regarded uh, a little higher than certainly it was on release. Um, but I don't know. Let's mm-hmm. see what do we think that that's the case. We'll find out. Jason, turning it back to you. You know, I really liked how Harrison Ford, I'll link uh, in the show notes to an article I read. It was just a Hollywood, excuse me, Entertainment Weekly from years ago had him sort of give a paragraph, Harrison Ford, about each like an iconic role that he had done. It was the Star Wars, it was the Blade Runner and shit. But then also the Mosquito Coast, they asked him about the Mosquito Coast. And he said that it's the only film I have done that hasn't made its money back. I'm still glad I did it. If there was fault with the film, it was that it didn't fully embrace the language of the book by Paul Theroux, which I have not read myself. Uh, But as I understand, there's like a certain like distinctive literary voice to it that the movie maybe doesn't carry through. Uh, It may have been more properly a literary rather than a cinematic exercise, but I think it's full of powerful emotions. I don't know. I think maybe Harrison Ford looks back with rose tinted glasses because it was such a departure for like his career to that point where he had done like maybe far less interesting, far less like villainous stuff in this movie. I would like at some point to talk about the casting of Harrison Ford as this main character. Harry had some really good insight, I think, about the casting because I don't know that it worked for me, but from a certain perspective, it like it 
it, it had a point. Um, I'm like the, 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 where I landed with this movie is that, uh, it is far from a, like, I mean, we've covered Fitzcarraldo on this podcast. We covered, uh, I would compare this as well to Aguirre, the wrath of God, another, uh, Werner Herzog film. Um, and a little bit of like, uh, there will be blood, you know, the egomaniacal, um, like uh, just obsessed, uh, fat, I won't say fascist, but like self-aggrandizing character that sort of imposes control, uh, to beyond reason to on like natural and, uh, and social circumstances. Um, it distances itself from that a little bit, I think, uh, in that, like, it's not that this character's decisions get worse and worse. It's that they're like philosophically aligned to, uh, just continue like making the same degree of bad decisions in worse and worse circumstances. Like he pivots frequently on, uh, on how he enacts and how he like, how his decisions reflect his philosophy of, you know, the degradation of society in, uh, in, in, you know, basically Western society through capitalist America. Uh, he will pursue it elsewhere. Um, there's a point at which he, uh, like in the very beginning, he sort of like, uh, envies the migrant workers in middle America for like where they came from, for the simplicity of their lifestyle, for like the untarnished perfection that they seem to have left behind in favor of the American dream. And then later on, he's calling the same people savages because they have no idea of what they're doing or like how, they, how to get it. How, who are they to tell him how to build his utopia kind of thing? Um, so it like, I, I don't know. I expected a little bit more like straightforwardness of his intent to like impose his will on this thing. We get there a few times, especially with the ice that he tries to take to the Indian tribes deeper into the jungle. Uh, but it moreover, like it allows that to flex a little bit uh, for the audience to watch that. Like, Oh, his excuses are crumbling. His reasons for doing this are crumbling. His like uh, philosophical center is sort of, uh, wavering at times, but his commitment to pursuing that thing, whatever it is to pursuing his self aggrandizing dream doesn't, like it's just you get to watch it get worse and worse um i i like i think that the funnier it gets in that and the more like uh poking at him is where the movie really shines and maybe it outlasts it's uh excuse me maybe the runtime outlasts the value of that or like the novelty of that uh for me again just top level thought but i think that that like when it does that is when it's doing its best work uh aaron did that strike any chords with you yeah, I'm, I'm uh, trying to like think about this in terms of or in the context of the Peter Weir series at the Trilon, which I think is, is doing a good job of showing like kind of different snapshots of his career. Like I don't and I know that like next week is like the big one, uh, obviously we'll, we'll get there. Right. Um, but there's missing there's a few of us like big heavy hitters that are not in the series, which I think is, is like fine. I think it, like the, the series does like a good job of showing other films that maybe aren't appreciated as much or this, this film, which is maybe kind of not forgotten, but was underappreciated. Um, I, I, I think that like my kind of take on Peter Weir that maybe will sound kind of negative, but I don't mean it that way is that I think that he is a talented director who's very, very good at working with actors. And I think he picks extremely interesting, nuanced material to to direct, to work with. Uh, but I think that that most of his films that I've seen, um, at least in the series and then outside of it as well, the few that I've seen, I think I, I kind of appreciate from like an intellectual level. And I like watching them to kind of point out or like notice what they are doing. But I find the act of watching a lot of them uh, not like excruciating, but like maybe not the best time. I think that like this is like a perfect film that I think is like 
pretty nuanced and in deep in its portrayal of uh, its main character. Um, but I think that like it stretched out to kind of two hours uh, and specifically the kind of like drama that we're watching in the film stretched out to two hours, I think like really begins to wear on you by about the first yeah. hour. Yeah. And I think <laughs> that like that second hour gets like kind of brutal to the point where like, I, I hate to like bring this up again, but like this would have been a great, 85 minute movie and this would have been a great this was three a, hour movie yeah and there's there's the, the fact that it's like right in the middle is just like ooh, it just stings a little bit um i i think that like you know at least my thoughts in regard to some of the content that that jason had talked about and hopefully i can kind of wrap this around so somebody has a good jumping off point but i, I think that like just purely like intellectually thinking about like what this movie is doing i think that this movie is like a very good example of uh, the kind of films that you saw kind of emerging in the seventies and then out of the seventies up till the the end of the 21st century, the end of the 20th century um, that were very targeted on like the idea of American decline and how that uh, uh, decline of American exceptionalism um, kind of subconsciously crept into um, you know, the, the philosophy and the politics of kind of, you know, everyday people, quote unquote. I think that a lot of it was focused specifically on right wing backlash to, uh, uh, you know, American decline. I think that like this film came out 12 years later than the Mosquito Coast. So maybe this is kind of a, a bundling of, of two different periods. But I think like something like Falling Down is like a very good companion yeah. piece to this. Uh, in that I think those both the main characters in that film and in this film are like, I think pretty nuanced uh, if like still blatant, blatant in a lot of ways uh, portrayals mm -hmm. of people who have been impacted by the world around them kind of crumbling in ways that they are perceptive to, but their angers get kind of channeled in the wrong direction. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, a lot of these films get called like fascist or like, yeah. Sympathetic to, you know, kind of the wrong people and whatnot. Um, I don't think this film like falls into that trap necessarily. I don't think falling down does either, but it gets, it gets that criticism a lot. Um, and I like all that stuff, but like, I think that it, it doesn't make for, for an exciting watch to be quite honest. Um, but it's like maybe better to talk about, uh, you know, you know, maybe way. Uh, speaking of which I do want to give a quick plug to a Parisphere piece. I don't know if anybody was able to read it by, um, Michael Welvang. Sorry if I'm mispronouncing that, which touches exactly on what Aaron was just talking about. It's called Mosquito Coast or Man Absolutely Loses It in, an in a Hardware Store. Uh, check that out in the show notes or at parasphere.org. Yeah, I'm really I'm really glad that um Aaron brought up the sort of fact that this is a character study of basically a right-wing reaction to the decline of American exceptionalism. That was really what I was thinking about. I think that that's maybe the most interesting nugget in this movie. Kind of especially now, I think that this movie is actually kind of really interesting and prescient or sort of like Z, it's prescient in the sense that actually like the right-wing uh, ideologies have been cyclical and always sort of returned to this point. But 
Um, I think I'm really sympathetic to Harrison Ford uh, calling this one of his best roles because I, I think that he has a really great performance in this movie and his character itself is very nuanced, um, I think, to agree with Aaron. Um, I will also agree that like the act of actually watching this movie is pretty boring, um, especially because like I think, Aaron, you said that about Witness where you saw everything coming a mile away. Um, I felt that way like so much more for this movie where it's like, hey, do you think that this dude's hubris is going to be punished and then it's like yeah for two hours over and over again uh and it's also the first 15 yeah oh yeah yeah, right the first second right it's like i know exactly what this movie is going to be and then it just happens and it's like the actual plot of this movie is not interesting at all what is interesting is i think and i think that this is probably why the novel maybe works better not that i've read it but it's the sort of thing i could see working better in a novel where you have more time to dive deeper into the psychology and ideology of this character and how his psychology and uh, neuroses affects his ideology or steers it sort of. Um, I think that this is a really fascinating portrait of a man who, um, again, right, a know-it-all who's sometimes right, like a man who legitimately is extremely intelligent and sort of has come to worship his intelligence as this sort of great determiner of um, control and manifest destiny and who is uh, pathologically unable to accept that his intelligence and his ability does not give him the ability to control all of life or all people or the course of human history in a macro historical way. Um, I think that, again, through entitlement, that's something that affects right wing people then and now very much. I think that like a lot of, for instance, Trump voters, QAnoners, evangelicals, they're sort of like they succumb to the same idea where it's sort of like they are unable to accept that they don't have they're so accustomed to a kind of entitlement, a kind of centrality within um, like the course of history and fate that they can't accept that they don't actually have control over their circumstances, that actually the act of being human is fundamentally about uh, surrendering control and about the fact that we are a collective and that we only succeed or fail with each other. Um, I think that uh, this character is a really great um, hateful manifestation of how somebody gets there, right? Somebody who thinks he's smarter than everybody else to the point where he wants to play the world on those terms where actually like it, being a person is just an act of will and nothing else. And so where you end up is only uh, a, a byproduct of your will and your ability. And uh, therefore, like wherever people end up, that's where they deserve to end up. And, and I'm not going to be like them. Right. I think that there's something there that is like really deeply true to the way that these people think. Um, I just think that that is an interesting character to critique um, I think the movie does a a uh, pretty good job of critiquing him. If I think maybe is a little bit too sympathetic, I was frustrated that he gets to have this final monologue where he says like, "Oh, nature is crooked, and I wanted straight lines." It's sort of like, okay, like I one, I I got that. Like I know you wanted to be God, and you're not God. Like that's kind of what the whole movie was about. Uh, and also, like I think that making this guy try to like trying to give him like a sympathetic swan song at the end of this movie is kind of a weird, uh, a weird note to end on. Um, I also think that like this movie sort of, it doesn't really do anything interesting outside of that characterization. Like for instance, I, you would think that this would be about river Phoenix ultimately. And I think probably in the novel it is like, I think this is probably supposed to be like an East of Eden coming of age story where like a kid realizes that his dad isn't God 
and actually realizes that that's a good thing because that means he can live outside of his dad's mores. Um, but River Phoenix is like kind of a non-entity in this movie, in my opinion. Um, there's even like a moment right near the end where like he teams up with Reverend Spellgood's daughter and it kind of seems like it's going to be this story about intergenerational rebellion and like rejecting the dogma of your parents, whether that's on the right or the religious or the left. Uh, that's abandoned very quickly so that we can get back to the Harrison Ford storyline, which frankly, I like, again, I, I know this character. He is well, he is well constructed. He's well drawn, right? I know exactly how he's wrong and how he's going to be proven wrong. I don't need an hour and 45 minute movie to tell me that, especially if the movie is going to tell me exactly what I thought it was going to tell me throughout. Um, without any sort of curveball whatsoever. Um, and, you know, we can also talk about traitorisms. We can talk about the fact that, like, Helen Mirren is also a non-entity in this movie and is, like, wildly permissive until the end of the movie in a way that is kind of frustrating. Like, I think you said her name was Margot uh, Aaron. Uh, in the credits, she's credited as Mother because that is the... He the, calls her mother. The yeah. Ty- yeah, what what he calls her. That's just very Schrader to me. It's just that like, oh, yeah. like, we're, we're not even going to pretend that this woman character exists to be anything other than sort of a characterization tool for the complicated male protagonist at the center of the movie. Um, and that's kind of how I felt about everybody, right? It's like everybody else in this movie is set dressing for this character's sort of descent. Um, it's, it's like the kind of movie that this character would have made about himself, which, hey, it's Paul Schrader. Uh, who wrote it. So maybe that has something to do with that. Um, so yeah, I I don't know. I'm of two minds. I think I, I really enjoyed what I thought about this movie. I enjoyed thinking through the pathology of uh, American right-wing ideology um, as it's exposed by this movie. I just don't know that it has anything particularly trenchant to say outside of that initial characterization. Um, but maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Cody, how did this movie work or not work for you? I I think ultimately I I'm coming down in a similar place to y'all where like texturally it checks um I don't know I don't even want to say like the right boxes it checks boxes that make sense there's sensible boxes being checked right an- right angles uh, and all that so bringing that back sure but uh yeah I don't it's it's a it's it's a grind of a watch it's tough watching a a movie about a guy where really just to solve his problems it just give the guy a podcast he just needs uh, a void to kind of you know cast his opinions into um we're gonna so- we're gonna play a chainsaw over the top of all of this audio so that we can't hear <laughs> any of it uh that'll be the the joke this time <laughs> right exactly um no it's it, there is something of a long tail to this movie uh w- especially once it's clear kind of what the um what the game is what the beats are and we're all just kind of dancing around it seeing jason alexander in that hardware store it's all downhill from there uh, wow, I, I think is wow wow yeah the main idea um no it's yeah i i'm still making sense of whether or not this is something that i actively like enjoyed watching i did really like watching harrison ford uh, he's probably the biggest draw for something like this and i i was you know trying my best to make sense of and you know track his ideologies uh that were that were really bubbling to the surface especially in the early acts of the movie and I think using or rather viewing this through the lens of like a particular window of time where like American, uh, American exceptionalism, uh, exceptionalism rather was, um, I don't know, something especially noteworthy and, you know, coming around on, you know, probably very emblematic of a lot of people at the time. Uh, so, I mean, that definitely helps inform uh, this reading that I'm still, you know, kind of processing as, as we talk here. So like tracking all that and 
seeing Harrison Ford, um, you know, really, you know, tap dance around and, and you kind of have at it, uh, was a, a, enough of a, uh, a joy to watch. And as far as that Harrison Ford, um, I, I liked the casting. I think leveraging like situations like this, where whether it's the director, uh, kind of leading the charge or the actor taking on a project as a means of like them and our audiences wanting to, to challenge what the, the sort of established thing that that actor is bringing to the screen, like confronting the charisma, so to speak of somebody like Harrison Ford, you know, this is, you know, he, he's that, that slimy kind of greaseball Han Solo type guy. Like we all know that of him, uh, by this point, um, this character goes in a, a deeper, darker, more nuanced direction. Um, and so I'm curious to what extent Harrison Ford, you know, obviously he, like you said, Jason, he, uh, looks back on this with rose tinted glasses. Um, I wonder how much of that there is to that, but I, me just watching it, I, I think that was, uh, something of enjoyable is a weird word to use, but an, an enjoyable sort of exercise to watch play out me weighing, you know, what I know and have seen from Harrison Ford, you know, showcased within the, you know, the nebulous of this, of this guy who <laughs> sucks. Uh, and, uh, I, I don't want to succeed. I don't want to feel sick, uh, him to feel success. Um, this, this character who's, a tourist in so many different walks of life, but has convinced himself otherwise, you know, he, you know, it try, whether it's being a scholar or a father or a leader or a mayor or an entrepreneur or an inventor, the, just the way he views himself versus, I don't know, where, like where he ends up by the end of things. Um, I don't know. That was, maybe I'm sort of talking my, myself into enjoying this movie uh, for as much of a, a glacial sort of grind as it is high floor sort of scenario. Um, what you know watching all of this filmed outdoors this is something i'm i'm been latching on to a lot more lately i hopefully it's not going to be something i just you know get into like each week but the the outdoor photography being really in the uh the the sweatiness uh of it all was really i don't know there there there's some montages in the middle of this movie where they're getting to geronimo which is just like really picturesque beautiful stuff um really enjoyed watching that and i think i would have also i mean for as much as river phoenix is in this movie think speaking to the high floorness of it all whenever the movie leaned into the sort of father son you know i guess that is kind of the framework for this whole thing there are some narrations from river phoenix's character it's very touch and go it's not something that really informs the the backbone of everything that we're watching i would have liked to have seen more of that um just again as as a more like a, th a through line to latch onto every you know five ten minutes or so just as a reminder just like this is not i mean it is uh it is harrison ford it is ali fox's story versus it is um you know charlie fox's story versus maybe this is something where you know both of them need, need to come from this in and learn from it kind of hard when one of them doesn't end up living through the story spoilers for the movie that we're talking about but i don't know uh, y'all said a lot of good things and I, I tried to remark upon all of them because i don't have a lot of surface level thoughts bubbling up um so i guess bringing it back around to jason where's i don't know where does all that sit with you it sits with me in a place that it makes me think differently now based like the only thing that led me to think we were maybe on a more empathetic path with this character or that the movie is begging some empathy with the character uh, was, Hey, Harrison Ford is handsome, charming. It's basically Harry's point from last night uh, when we were talking outside the trial and was like, he's handsome. He's charming. You know, him as the hero. And the fact that he's a villain is like, Oh, but he's a very well villain. Quote unquote. He's a very charming, convincing. Uh, he's a raconteur. He's believable. He's that character. But especially like when you uh, juxtapose him with Helen Mirren, you can kind of see how like, Oh, 
he sounds so smart and articulate and he's so handsome and he's so put together that even though he's saying these patently ridiculous sort of childish things, he has this very simplistic uh, and hateful worldview. He kind of makes it, he like carries it in a way that you can kind of see up to a point right. why somebody like Helen Mirren would be sort of drawn into his world. He's sort of a Svengali in that yes, sense. Exactly. And it's, it's those moments where I, I don't know if it's just like they're not frequent enough or if they're not strong enough or if they're not beated al- enough along, along the, like the, the line of the plot or the narrative. But it's those moments when I think about whether or not this movie is actually begging empathy in a way that makes it kind of like violent, boring is the evidence against that to me is like I was foregrounding earlier and Harry made the joke that like any t- like it, it barely for a moment lets you take the character seriously or like like applaud his accomplishments or see what he's doing as anything but like completely harebrained. Um, you recognize that he's a genius, that he's probably actually a, a very accomplished inventor. He was able to turn fire and ice and all that shit supernaturally. Um, that he's able to make all of this stuff work, that he has the engineering know-how and the farming know-how. And like, just like the, the ability to make any of this happen is astonishing uh, before it's qu- it quickly like kneecaps that uh, at almost every turn. He's building a wonderful like two-floored city of Geronimo and as soon as he starts espousing his, uh, you know, his his philosophy to the people around him, he starts a chainsaw, and you just can't hear like three or four solid lines in a row. It just totally dominates the sound mix. It happens, I think, also when he's like welding something. And a two dollar loaf of bread. It's it's very it, like it's it's hilarious. And in that moment, I'm thinking, oh, we're not. That's probably the funniest joke we, in the movie, right? It it truly is. And the it's fact so that good. I think it maybe repeats it once when he's welding something to build um Fat Boy, uh, but like it's. It, those moments make me think we're not meant to be take we're not meaning to take this character seriously there are times when it's like funny and times when it's i, I don't know you feel more um uh you, like you can feel a little bit more directly that he's uh doing this for personal gain rather than like oh it's kind of funny that he doesn't recognize what he's doing there's if, uh, the example i'm thinking of is after he's built fat boy the big ice making machine in in the in the middle of the jungle uh the voiceover from charlie ex- explains that um uh, let me see. I just want to pull the exact quote. Uh, he says, sorry, Allie screams like, cool down your house, get a decent night's sleep, increase productivity. Ice is civilization. That's why I'm here. That's why I came. Uh, and like, then Charlie explains that an ice market is established. It's, you know, life is becoming easier. People are sort of taking it for granted. And in that very moment, maybe a 10 second passage before it becomes, again, his hubris is sort of takes over and he says he like father was relentless was restless he was he would didn't want this to be like the end of his legacy here essentially he wanted to impress upon the uh indigenous tribes how important and how revolutionary and how life-changing this ice thing could be he so also he wanted takes, to be worshipped right it literally, literally says like oh he people were taking his ice for granted and he's like leering like this vengeful god over exactly. them that makes the everybody shot. call him father <laughs> exactly that's the shot i'm thinking of is him like just looking over the bridge of his glasses at the people uh, who are enjoying now this like arguably significantly increased quality of life and resenting it uh he sees it as maybe a failure that he can overcome where like i think the empathy with the character maybe would be built to like he's seeking to make lives better somewhere and if that's you know in a very i read that um uh, the author Paul Theroux was a member of the Peace Corps, and he found that they were maybe too paternalizing of uh, of folks uh, of cultures and uh, countries that they that they visited and and supposedly helped. Um, I feel like maybe that's the message that it's getting through in the most empathetic way is like seeking to uh, uh, make lives better in places you are not 
that you don't necessarily belong or that you've never been, you've never been before is, uh, is like a, a complicated multifaceted thing. Uh, and maybe we could pursue that. But before we really pursue that, we, we, under, we undercut it by saying, actually, it's not about that. It's not about the um, like the empathy that we can generate by telling that story. It is about focusing again on this man's megalomaniacal drive to just be worshipped, as as you said, Harry, to uh, to to be recognized as a god, essentially, among people who've never seen the white man before. Um, it in that way, I think it calls back to the examples Aaron was pointing out before of like it borders, it like creates friction of like the fascist narratives uh, because of those moments, and I think those like. Are not necessarily strung together in uh, in a cohesive enough way. We are then given capitulations to him having like um, an impetus with his his mom, like this background with his mom, where he was talking about like not wanting to see her. Uh, he couldn't stand to see her in pain or die. Like that's why he left. I, I don't know. Like that, it's not strong enough a character play for me to say it actually is trying to beg empathy from us. Uh, and I don't know if that's the most most important question to ask about the movie either. I just I feel like it's not. Like that's not what it's really trying to do, uh, but it is not committing wholly enough to the things that I like about it. The sort of like piss takes on him, the the undercutting, the we see their boat shift right after being um, completely like their whole camp is uh, waterlogged. It's it's blown away in a storm, and then the next shot is their boat coming to the side and the shot of the bow showing the word victory painted on it. Like those really ironic humorous moments i think are where this movie really thrives where this movie really thrives and it just doesn't like focus enough on those to build like that 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 tone throughout so anything else feels like a capitulation to like that necessary hey we must have empathy we must have some narrative that carries along with the character rather than completely just makes him seem evil and uh and and you know uh maniacal throughout i I guess i'm running myself into the ground a little bit but i aside from harrison ford being cast uh, and these, like, th- through his son's eyes at times in in, in the in um, uh, voiceover from Charlie, sometimes we get that like there's empathy with the character there. Um, but other than that, I see the through the lens of the movie is really showing us. I see constant der- derision of this character. I suppose. Yeah, I mean, I guess I had sort of a mirror uh, reaction to this. I think that you really hit on what I think is maybe my primary criticism of the movie, which is that. Um, and, and this is probably something that, again, the novel, I would assume, does better, especially if, like you said, uh, the author was a Peace Corps member who was worried about being too paternalistic to cultures. This movie wears the sort of trappings of an anti-colonial, anti-imperialist narrative. I don't know that it actually has anything that interesting to say about mm. anti-imperialism, especially for a movie that's called The Fucking Mosquito Coast, right? Which is like one of... Well, it's funny to say one of uh, the most famous because literally the entire world is a famous example of uh, British colonialism. But like, I think the Mosquito Coast was literally owned by Great Britain until like the 1860s or something like just like was a site of exploitation for an extremely long period of time. So obviously setting it there is like placing it in this context of sort of like a heart of darkness apocalypse now uh, colonialism of the white man. Um the criticism of his character, it's sort of like it keeps rubbing up against uh, colonialist sort of uh, paternalistic anti-egalitarian narratives exposing his hypocrisy, right? There's a moment where he calls a black man a savage, and even his wife is like, hey, what the fuck, dude? Yeah. Um, There's a few of those moments. Yeah, yeah. 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 Starts to- Including his friend, the guy who <laughs> oh, set I mean, him up. Oh, I mean, he's clearly a racist place. piece yeah. of shit, right? But, but my problem is that I don't think the movie ever really explores that and is, in fact, a little bit sympathetic to his paternalist narrative 
uh, if I could make that argument. Maybe I'm off base here. But, like, mm-hmm. ultimately, the criticism of this character is, like, it's sympathetic in the sense that it's kind of tragic, right? It's like, look at how human he is. Like, isn't it sad that man can't be God, right? Like, there's that there's that whole monologue that is obviously ripped straight from the book where Charlie is like, my dad thought that God left the world incomplete, and it was actually man's job to finish it and to correct it. And all this time, like, obviously, Ali, uh, Harrison Ford's character, he has these aspirations to be a God figure. He has everybody calling him father. He's conducting this work. He is rebuilding this utopian society. Obviously, he fails because it's hubristic, because man can't actually do that. But at the end, we get this monologue from him, right? Where he's like, yeah, I, nature is crooked. And what I wanted to do is straighten it. I wanted to make it better. I wanted to finish it. I was doing this for everybody. I, I think that like the movie is clearly critiquing that idea. I'm not saying it's not. I'm saying it's a little bit like, uh, it's like a colonialist's critique of a, of a colonialist, right? Sort of like in the mold of Heart of Darkness, where it's like, there's this sort of like Ahab sense about, uh, alley where it's like it's so tragic that he couldn't ultimately do this he couldn't accomplish ultimately accomplish what he set out to do to be god but man like isn't it sympathetic that he could isn't it sort of like uh and like i i just think that the movie is like it it's like no that's not a sympathetic goal right because like it's a paternalist goal and like i wish that the movie would engage more with like hey like like what if he did succeed, right? Like, what if he built this utopia? Who would it be for? And it's like, his kids wouldn't be better off, right? Like, it was never about his kids. It was never about his wife. It was never about the people around him. It was always only about him, which is the hypocrisy behind that sort of colonialist, egalitarian uh, narrative, right? This idea that, like, oh, all people are created equal, and so ultimately you only go as far as your will is, like, that's you saying you're better than other people because you have more will or whatever. And ultimately, like, Ali's version of utopia isn't one where everyone is equal. It's one where he's a god, right? Just like colonialists or imperialists. It's one where he is the only person capable of making decisions or, uh, like, remaking the world in his image. And that's what imperialism is, right? It's this idea that, like, oh, the superior race, the white people, are going to go out to these inferior places and reshape them in their image because that is their right as the superior people. And it's like, that is what Ali is actually doing in this movie. And so I don't get why we have to have all of this deep sympathy for this idea that like, oh, he's doing this because he wants to right inequalities because it's like, he might think that, but like his approach to inequality is fundamentally like the reason why in the, the right wing ideology and Ali's ideology, um, inequality exists is because all people aren't created equal and they need they need a fascist to to lead them they need the imperialist ally to correct them and it's like i wish that the movie would have been like hey you know actually like the reason why people on the mosquito coast are are poor literally right now when this movie is being shot is because the fucking british empire exploited them for resources for hundreds and hundreds of years oftentimes like literally enslaving their people uh or or forcing them into bondage or extracting resources raw natural resources straight out of their land as they did everywhere else to take it back to their homeland the way that you're kind of trying to do right now ally right you're like exploiting their labor and it's just like i think that like for a, a a movie that is like so ostensibly interested in critiquing 
uh, contemporary neo-imperialism from America and where it comes from and the sort of anxieties that prompt it. I don't think it actually like levels an interesting anti-imperial charge against Ali. I think instead it wants to critique the psychology of Ali from the inside and ultimately ends up in a place that I think is a little bit too sensitive and sympathetic by half. Because again, like ultimately the end of this is like, wow, isn't it sad that like, that he wasn't able to be successful, that like that, uh, that man can't actually be God. And, you know, we get that, we get that monologue from his son that, that is really good. And is again, ripped straight from the book, right? Where he's like, when my dad was alive, the world seemed small. And now that he's gone, it seems limitless. And like, I think yes. that's the sort of East of Eden, um, sort of, uh, amor fate, right? Where, it, where it's like, oh, uh, like it does suck that, that to come of age, you have to learn that your parents aren't gods. Uh, but once you learn that, you realize that the world is bigger than you thought it was and that you're not actually predestined to what they told you you were going to be. And like, that's some good stuff. That's some anti-colonialist stuff. I just didn't see a lot of it. For I think that the movie gets a little bit too wrapped up in, in wow, isn't it sort of sad and, and tragic and epic that this guy can't do what he wants to do? And it's like, nah, not really. He's just kind of a racist piece of shit. I don't know. I didn't really find his uh, philosophies novel at all because it's just the philosophy of every single fucking colonialist since the dawn of time, right? Just like, hey, I know better than you. Therefore, I have the right to reshape the world. And it's like, well, turns out you don't. Uh, and I would have liked more engagement with why he doesn't actually know better, I guess. As much as it pains me to defend a film I didn't really like, I think that your criticisms are are kind of relying on what I view as like a misreading of the end of the film. Um, and I think that that you're right in that the film is, is more focused on critiquing uh, Ali as a character than kind of, you know, doing something a little more uh, kind of distinctly uh, kind of, you know, uh, anti-colonialist. Um, but I, I think that like, I don't know, I, I don't view the end of this film as some sort of like big empathetic moment sure. in the way that you're saying. I mean, I think that like the, the you know, we are supposed to view it as like kind of tragic that he dies. But I think we're also supposed to view it as, uh, uh, you know, his character as being kind of a product of the of the environment uh, that, that he is in turn reacting to. Um, I think that him complaining about you know, uh, uh, nature being, uh, you know, kind of, uh, rough and rugged and then his preference for kind of these straight lines. I mean, maybe this is like a, you know, kind of a reach here, but I, I view that as like, we do see straight lines in the film and they're in America, right? They're the, the signs and the billboards and the, you know, the fast food, uh, shit that he's driving past the very beginning of the film. Right. I think that the character is, is he hates America, not because, uh, well, he, he thinks that he hates America for all these like philosophical reasons, but the real reason that he hates America is because he is not in the position that he wants to be yeah. in American society. <laughs> right. right. Which is and the, exactly the, only... the same with right wing ideology, right? Like that's that's really well described. Yeah. I mean, there, there's a, a bunch of lines in the film about him not being able to take orders. Right. Uh, his his kind of conversations with um, his boss early on, who kind of runs the asparagus farm. Um, I think that that we are supposed to sense that Ali is a character that is hyper intelligent and and hyper capable, but still has not ended up in the position that he believes that he should be in. Right. And when right. that happens in American society, you, of course, which is supposed to be kind of a meritocracy, supposed to be, you know, kind of place you can pull yourself up by your bootstraps, make a name for yourself. When you're not able to do so, uh, you kind of look around in a, in a reactionary sense and kind of 
dislike certain elements of that society. And then what, what Ali does is he, he goes into, you know, the, the wilderness, uh, uh, with scare quotes there, um, in order to kind of tame it, in order to make it a society that he is then on top of, right? Yeah, um, he's trying to is, reinvent meritocracy, right? He's like, meritocracy went wrong yeah, because I, if it were right, I would be on top. So I'm going to go to a place where I can recreate it and write it so that I can be on top. Yeah, I mean, he pitches it as, you know, working hand in hand with your fellow man and, you know, living in tune with nature. But the minute they, you know, make any sort of small successes in this regard, he immediately views it as not enough and that the people around him are kind of, you know, exploiting his intelligence and his inventions uh, for their own use. And we need to work harder, right? Um, Which is not you know, kind of the, the hippie lifestyle that he's describing, it is, it is one that is more in tune with him wanting to be in charge of people and and being able to tell them what to do. Right. Um, and so I think there is like, you know, when, when he dies at the end and and he's kind of complaining about the the state of nature and whatnot, I, I think that, that we are supposed to view it as tragic because he is a person that failed in this environment. Um, but I don't think that that tragedy is necessarily some sort of like, I don't think we were supposed to view him as like a good guy or that it's sad that he was not able to achieve his goal. I, I think that's kind of a, 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 a yeah. misinterpretation. I think, uh, I, I think that like th- this film is like doing something I find like very legitimately interesting um, in, in regard to how it views uh, talent, like natural inherent talent and skill uh in American society. And I think that if you look at American filmmaking uh, that looks at people who are talented, who are skilled, who are kind of, you know, the fucking ubermenches, the the best of the best, there's kind of two ways that that kind of represents itself. The first way is some sort of uh, pursuit of happiness-esque kind of view of talent as this thing where you just keep pursuing, you just keep fighting. And, and, you know, it's kind of this melodramatic story of, of kind of success happening after this kind of series of long fought battles. Right. And then there's this other way of doing it, which is maybe something like the Wolf of Wall Street, where there are talented people who get to the top kind of no matter what uh, the, you know, the circumstances are, no matter who they have to kind of kick down in order to succeed, who make a lot of money doing very, very evil things. Right. And I think that this film is doing a third thing, which we don't get a ton in American filmmaking due to, I think kind of the, the nature of how, uh, you know, kind of America and American right. philosophy as a whole views this kind of stuff, which is a very talented, smart person who does see things differently than other people in a way that should put him ahead, but nevertheless still kind of fails and still Mm -hmm. is not good enough. Right. Um, Because the nature of American meritocracy is not truly based around skill or being smarter or more capable than others. Um, It's largely based around luck and that there are a lot of people like Ali Fox uh, in real life who are very talented and smart and they do okay for themselves. um, But a lot of times they don't. Right. And, I, I find that, you know, maybe it's sympathetic to this kind of right wing philosophy. Maybe this it's is, something yeah, else. Yeah, that was the but problem I, that I had with it, I think. I, I don't think so, though. Like, I think that, like, people are are kind of, you know, the sum of a whole bunch of, uh, you know, environmental uh, contexts and the choices they made. And I, I think that there is something... There's something you can say to, uh, uh, you know, this person ended up in this manner due to this long string of circumstances in their life that that's not necessarily 
you know, softening fascism or like right wing ideology. I don't know. Like right wing. I wouldn't, I wouldn't go as far as to say the, that. Yeah. I would just say not sympathetic so much as, as just like, I, I think that it, it is committing the same sort of conflation of all types of intelligence into this sort of like slurry of general worth that is really frustrating. And that it also, it also is ultimately like, I think a little bit sympathetic to the idea of meritocracy, right? Like maybe not sure. the applications, but it, but it is like, wow, like Ali actually was smarter than everybody else. And like, doesn't it suck that like, this is what happens to a guy that's smarter. And it's like, you you can see, I don't know. I, I just think that like, hit the psychology of a guy who is actually smarter than everybody else and therefore wants to be God. And like, I, I think that like the movie gets a little bit, bit too wrapped up in sympathizing with the idea that it's like, well, but he's so good, right? He's so good at it. Like, he- I don't know. Yeah, I mean, he's a he's a he's a Tesla, right? He's not an Edison, right? He he is he is a brilliant inventor, but he's not a brilliant businessman. He is not a brilliant marketer, right? He can create the the ice box, but he can't sell it to the guy who just wants to grow asparagus, right? Like I th- I think that my, I I see where you're coming from, and I don't think it's like I don't view it as like some sort of like offensive read of the film, but like I think there is, I think that read, unfortunately for me, like kind of pushes material realities uh that that are kind of the the reasons that people end up uh uh the way that they do kind of to the side for a bit in a way that like i don't necessarily like i don't hate that criticism of like all films but i think this film is smart enough about that stuff i think there's like little scenes like the the you know the the quote that harrison ford says about you know the the farm workers not even eating the asparagus that they harvest right and that that separation of their labor from like the end product that is like smart, smart enough that makes me think that this film kind of knows what it is doing. And I'm willing to, I'm willing to give it the benefit of the doubt in that regard. And I think that if there weren't like those little moments that are sharp enough uh, to kind of like hint towards that, I think maybe I would be on your side, but I think like there's enough there to where I'm like, I'm willing to give the film this so it can make the, the point that it wants to. Um, I guess is where I'm coming from. That maybe, being said, I still don't love this film. I still don't yeah. like this. Didn't really uh, like watching it, but like maybe maybe this is a uh, a sort of knee jerk reaction, and and I don't I don't want to fall back on it. But I just like I think that if it was as smart and material as you uh, described, there would be literally a black character that had uh, any sort of input. I mean, there is the one guy that, that gives. I think Hattie. I think Hattie is is quite he a has strong very, character. Very little to do with the. I don't know, man. I, I disagree. I, I, okay. I like Hattie. I think Hattie has a good spot in the film. Maybe we should have been look. Uh, Conrad Roberts is Mister Hattie, one of the stars of the film. I think yeah, he's, he's great. He's maybe number two. I mean, Helen Mirren. It's hard to her character. It's a non-entity. Like, yeah. Hate to, so hate to he. shit on Helen Mirren, uh, you know, who was doing, I'm sure, the best yeah. job that she could. But you got to give it to Mr. Hattie. I'll give No, know, I don't. Conrad Roberts <laughs> I really two. don't. I don't really think I that think he does much in this movie. Yeah, he's good in it. The the movie fails him as a character. Like, I would have liked I would have liked to have hear, heard the character any, who knows anybody. that they should they should yeah, move their sure. their camp kind of inland because Harrison Ford does not understand like right. the the context of you know seasonal fucking uh, uh, you know. So have uh, him say I don't know like have anybody challenge Harrison Ford's actual thinking? Be like, hey, so many people challenged Harrison Ford's actual thinking. I think Hattie does. I think Hattie and and Spellgood to a certain extent, although we're not supposed to sympathize no. with Spellgood too much, right? Um, but I, I I think I think they do right. I think we I don't we really see think Harrison so, Ford's character clash against other kind of i think we see his ideology clash against kind of 
more practical concerns represented by Mr. Hattie or, or yeah, against to nature. a certain extent. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, I, I think I don't, it's, I don't know. I think that's what makes it like his relationship to his family interesting is that like his family behind his back, it becomes textual is against him is like wondering when they can get back home, how they can subvert his control to his face. They're not allowed to. I think that is the reconciliation between you guys points that I am able to like pull out of this movie is that yes, there is, there is questioning of his motive and of, of his ideal and, and the practical application of it um, explicitly in cases like, Hattie that are eventually silenced or backgrounded. Uh, and, but the things that remain constant, the things that are visible are his family. And you know, that they are like questioning of his, of his, uh, uh, of his, essentially his rule of his, of his, uh, megalomaniacal control over the situation. Um, if that's like, they're not given many opportunities to subvert that or to, uh, like, reject that but when they do they are directly punished as part of like like they're put in a tow boat behind the the main jetty you know uh they are like called traitors they're whatever i think that there is like a textual rejection of his ideal of his uh of like what he's trying to do but it's like is it is it strong is it like, it's from not any, like for, is it from outsiders not not really and it's like kind of weak humanitarian grounds right it's like the family is just like oh you're being so mean to us like you're you're hurting us it's not like you're actually a, a fucking moron who's wrong. And like these people do I mean, actually have ideas just like you and interiorities just like you. It's more like, I, why would maybe. you expect, would you expect Helen Mirren's character to, you know what I mean? Like, Oh, I wouldn't because she's in this movie or spell goods. Right. But like, what do you expect? The, the, I mean, I don't know. Dialectics I, I think that there's, is what I expect. I, God damn I know, it. But like, I do think that you get like, I think that the way that the, the film kind of challenges, um, Challenge, like pushes Allie's philosophy to the limits and kind of pushes it past that point to where he is effectively like lying to his family. Right? I think like the, one of the big plot points is he kind of makes up this this nuclear annihilation of, of North America as like this reason that they cannot move back. Uh, yeah, uh, he literally home, calls himself right? the savior, right? It's like he has to invent a reason why he's gone. Yes. I, and I think that there is not just that scene, but I think there are a number of moments later in the film that that slowly see him start to push his philosophy uh, kind of further and further. Um, and little things keep coming up, you know, um, ways that they could receive help and aid, for example, Mr. Hattie, like, you know, having to give, you know, these spark plugs or whatever they are um, to his kid. I think that like the the film is like, not subtly, because it's, it's what the fucking you know, last 30 minutes is all about. Right. But I think like the film is like good at it, like giving these little small indicators of, of Ali, Ali's philosophy being completely unbreakable. Right. In the face yeah, of yeah. literally anything that bumps up against There's it, that the, I think is like the key after, indicator here. Right? After Geronimo melts to the ground, somebody says, I'm so sorry. I think it might be Hattie Reed comes up to him and says, I'm so sorry that this happened. And he says, I'm happy. We're free. And the person and in he the frame does is just, pivot hardcore. Is, right? He's like, oh, no just, more yes, chemicals. Like, yeah, and you, and, you, and you see the person in the background. I forget again which character it is. Maybe indicative of the character work here, but they're just sort of like aghast. They're like, fucking yeah. really? You what know, the, and that, I, th it's those moments that I think put me a little bit more on Aaron's side of like, I don't think it's really like uh, begging. Too well, much. I mean, I'm not saying it's blanket sympathetic. I'm just right. saying that ultimately, I don't really like the like Moby Dickian. Like, he's like a I. Look, Moby Dick's great. 
You know, yeah. I don't. You know, <laughs> Moby Dick's better. What's the, what's the yeah. problem with? All right, yeah, easy. of course it is. But like, I, the, um, the moment that's like so true. Sorry, real, real quick. The moment that that where he he first shows up to the the town that he bought, and it's like three houses and like some people just like hanging out, right? And there's just like, I I think everybody who's like met someone who's like seriously kind of fucked up slightly in the way that Ali, I met some of these people mostly in college. Uh, uh, well, you're there's that st- moment where he like sees majors, it, right? <laughs> <laughs> Cody, Cody, and I, Cody, I could probably put a. Let me let me type in the chat the name of who I'm talking about. Oh, wow. here. Uh, mm-hmm. There's like, there's oh, like a, there's, yo, <laughs> yeah. you know exactly what I'm talking. About. There's yeah. like a moment. Yeah. Uh, there's like a moment where he just like sees it and his face does like this, and then yeah. you can see you can see his face just go like, oh, this is no, this is a good thing. It's, <laughs> it's, this is this is exactly what I wanted the entire time. You can see yeah. it. A lot of well, that's I mean, Harrison Ford's performance, right? And that but, like, is legitimately he just bends the world to his will until well, it, that, he can't. That's the anymore. thing is that I think, like, legitimately, this movie's at it be- at its best when it, it's portraying that he is like, like, literally. I mean, I I don't want to use a non scientific term, but like insane, right? Like he's delusional. He like literally, they're in a boat. They just escaped from like this this place that burned down. They have no idea where they're going. He says like, oh, uh, like. We don't know when we're going to eat next. And he is completely fine, right? Like his face is, he's, he's completely calm. And like, I don't think that that's him affecting that. I think that's really how he feels because I think that the really interesting thing that this movie does psychologically is it shows how like a guy who is like so, like he is bought so into the meritocratic ideal uh, of, of himself. And like, he thinks that his intelligence really does make him God. Right. And so he really doesn't believe that he's in trouble here. And he never thinks he's in trouble, even when he's in deeply in trouble. And everybody else is like, bro, like the world doesn't work the way you think it does. I just wish that I don't know. Um, I I definitely think that this is a critique of him. I just don't know that it makes the right material critiques. I just I wish that there was some sort of like, hey, like I, I want I wanted the movie to sort of like get at uh, how meritocratic people end up being these sort of like solipsists who think that everybody else are just like zombies that they can order around the way that Allie clearly thinks of people. And I just it shows don't that. think that he really gets there. I don't, it shows I don't think it, it shows does that, It shows that they, 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 the Allie characters, uh, you know, give people the benefit of the doubt until it slightly inconveniences them. And then they're like, oh yeah, they're, they're savages or they're stupid or they're, that's, you yeah. know, no, you're right. That's fair. Why, I don't know why we're. I don't like this movie. <laughs> that's, that's not, I don't like this movie like that, that much either. We, yeah. We've yeah, made allies. Great. We've made allies yeah. where we never thought we would. We we reached across across this uh, is, party lines. Did you guys lines. see this at the trial line? Yes. I just I think that trial what happened views. is that Aaron accused me of disregarding material realities, and as a that's leftist, right. I couldn't take that. How dare down. you? Yeah. <laughs> this this movie is uh, someone you know Chicago viewer here watching this on the old. Uh, 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 well, not a not a not at a movie theater. There have never been more. I don't know about never, but there have scarcely been fewer. Like, let me just move the mouse, hover over the screen. God damn it! So that Dude, bar oh is God. nowhere near the end of that other we, bar. We talked about this a lot. I think Ooh, uh, Cody. I believe you rough. said that this is a pretty good candidate for the Rashomonis. Um, oh, you better believe. I, it. Oh yeah, yeah. I agree with that. And also, Probably like, not a winner, but yeah, maybe I. We'll I. Uh, I know I'm in trouble at the Trilon because usually I always turn off my phone uh, before I see a movie. I'm old fashioned that way. Uh, sometimes I, 
I know a movie is not doing it for me if I turn my phone back on so I can check the time. I did this, like, I think we went in at 9.15 is when we saw this movie last night. Uh, the first time I checked my phone, it was like 9.36, dude. I was like, <laughs> oh, shit, like, we're in it now. I, like, kept Not looking. even at the jungle. Well, be, because, like, when, <laughs> when those, fu- when when those fucking soldiers coast? show like up an and, like, they're, like, hanging out in the, oh, yeah. the ice machine, I was like, surely this is the climax of the movie. And then I checked my phone and yeah. I was like, no, motherfucker, we got 40 minutes left of this thing. <laughs> that that part is rough because it's like yeah. I get tonally where this movie is going and like I get it's also like kind of lighthearted at times like comedic at times but like just those soldiers showing up and being like this is also like implying potential I guess sexual assault yeah. and that there's like yep. a scenes of them like standing around as well. I'm like ah oh, well and so... and also again nobody in this movie has an agenda at all that is comprehensible except for Allie. It's like, where do these soldiers come from? What do they want? What are they doing? They want air it's conditioning. Just, it's, I they guess. step inside an air conditioning but, but it's tent. Like, like, Allie's like yeah. the only dude, like the only Ryan character that exists in this movie. <laughs> They're gonna. They're like immediately moving to like those like like Phoenix Arizona homes that are just like set at like sixty two. Just a just AC bills of like six hundred ninety two dollars a month. You know what I mean? And they're just just you can chilling in sixty two degree weather. Like physical ozone holes opening up above the right the, houses. the area of the world that God specifically made to for us to fuck out of. You know what I mean? And and we're yeah. just got a nineteen room home. Those those guys. Chilling. Those interlopers invading Geronimo is me uh, arriving at the Minnesota uh, Twins Stadium uh, for for some Dippin' Dots. Just it's un- an unbelievable. It's it's the sweet call of uh, 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 sweet this, sirens call. The Dippin' Dots thing is so fucking funny to me because it's like so you got Dippin' like, Dots at the Minnesota State yeah, Fair. Well, here no, listen. No. The the Twins Jason Daphnis isms transcend uh, genre what and medium because it's like. Uh, okay. Jason is like he will defend like a six out of ten video game, a six out of ten movie. Like, He'll just yeah. like find mm-hmm. and like that's Dippin' Dots are like such a six out of ten. It's just like hey, what if ice cream <laughs> was dots worse? Aren't even a six, bro. No, dude, they suck. Come it's on. like they hide yeah. ice cream. It's like what if it's, ice cream? It's was literally worse? like a marketing thing for kids. Like it's and, ice cream from space. Like yeah, what are you a but, fucking? But, to be fair, it is the ice cream of the future. Jason is all over, and I just like I legitimately love that. I love that Jason is like he he picks his six so, out of tens. Did Jason get Dippin' Dots? Not at the state fair. Like, what is the state fair situation here? The twins game. Twins game. Okay, why fair. are you even getting that at a twins game? Because That's it's the crazy. only place in the twins in the, in the twin cities you can fucking get it. What are you talking about? I've never gotten it in, in Minnesota anywhere else. Can I you buy different dots from like a supermarket? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. Okay. There was a, also- a water park where I used to get them when I was a child, yeah. but. So you part, of it's also, <laughs> part of it's also like it, like Dippin' Dots. You know, I, I'm always down for a sweet treat at yeah, at a at, at a Twins game. Get your sweet yeah, treats right. at the, at Target Field. But then it's also like you get your your entry level sort of protein. You know, like, like a hot dog or something like that. But then mm-hmm. it's like poutine and steak this dinners and all this like elaborate dense yeah. crap. It's they like, have just Dippin so much like ice cream, cream the dog. Malt cup with yeah, the you can little get that wooden too. spoon. That's a classic. That is a. You can't I usually like I usually flip flop between that. Dots myself. Um, okay. the, the wooden spoon is a, right. is a classic. I thought I will, it was state fair. Look, getting look. Okay, Twins game. All right, I can't shit on it too much. I thought you said state fair, and I was I was fucked. I was fucked up. No, no, I was no, fucked up. No, I was severely no. fucked up. Okay. Uh, I I All will right. leave you with this thought before we enter junk drawer. Uh, again, Dippin' Dots is the only reason that we have uh, had a widely available COVID vaccine. Just as a quick no reminder, one t- just don't audience. touch that. Please don't. I I am I I I shit play, you play not. The sound clip. DM play the me. No 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 DM no. no, no just leave that. Just leave that where it is. Just for oh, questions. Well, 
play the thing. Mm, just, I would, mm, just, mm. I know, I just know. If thing. you're talking about their, their play coolers, the they're, they're, they're freezers. Play the they allowed them to just store it the at negative 40 degrees, which is for the much bit. colder just than any normal uh, ice cream at? freezer. It's, uh, it's right here. Thank you so much. Time for some junk drawer thoughts at an hour and five. Jesus Christ. Uh, tell me what you thought about the movie when you weren't having bigger thoughts about the movie. Uh, Aaron. Um, I got it. Uh, you know, some nice. Uh, I did want to take a dip. I did want to go for a good old lake dip. Maybe even like a slightly kind of swampy, muddy looking River I'm situation. Afraid, I'm afraid of that. Like what those kids were doing before they set up shop. Yeah, I was. I was I'm afraid I don't know of where those they I know they did shoot the film uh, in, I think, Central or South America for a little bit, and then I think they yeah. went to Georgia for the rest of the shooting. Yep. And I don't. I don't know how many of the like the jungle scenes were in like Georgia, for example. Maybe some of them. You know, you probably get away with that. Uh, but yeah, some of those. Some of that looked like uh, maybe a bit of a make sure those kids got their vaccine sort of situation uh, in the water there. But the. The swinging on a fucking rope into the water. I mean, I'll, it's I'll a classic. That. That's sick. Yeah. More yeah. like a puddle Phoenix. Thank you, Cody. Oh, uh, don't love that. Maybe we can end on a better note uh, later on in the episode. Just to play at that for later. I really like it's not going to be uh, a mention from me for the segment that comes after this. But I really loved how um, fat boy version two. um Maybe we call him Fat Boy Slim. How he's uh, visualized in the de- where like a it's Moloch. just like yeah. Which I I thought of the like the monolith from two thousand one of just like it just appears. Yeah, yeah. It is literally a monument to man's it's, arrogance, right? Like it's a yeah, pretty good visual metaphor. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's really good. Just yeah, the, a couple of guys rowing the canoe. Uh, it also canoe looks by. like a face. It looks like a. It fucking, does. Is that intentional? I I Probably. don't know. I think the Moloch he keeps calling it the body, the body and stuff. It's like it's kind of like it. He literally it, feeds people into it and then sets yeah. them on fire and so- Yeah, something about something about it's the Wicker Man. Basically. It makes like a also, it makes like a sound. You know, a much better movie. It's like almost a Cronenberg movie. He keeps talking about how he's building a body. He's building yeah. like a perfect yeah. human body and With a like, poop shoot. This is like the what if this was like fucking. Um, like a Shinya Sukamoto movie where it, like it turns out that he's trying to replace his human body with like a perfect version and that's why the he kids go in there at the end of the movie <laughs> and all of the all of the pipes have been replaced with like human entrails yeah, and no, it's like exactly. a giant and it's blood like, arms that is a better movie yeah. at the end of the great. movie it's revealed that. he's been just feeding everybody into it that's a exactly movie. that is that's a better, better movie. movie uh my junk drawer thought is I briefly considered giving this a five star uh rating when uh near the end of the movie uh Allie fucking jumps into the lake or the river and then he's under the water for like three minutes and everybody's like oh my god is he gone is he gone and Helen Mirren starts crying if the movie had ended at that exact point fuck that would have been a good ending good ending <laughs> and just like both hilariously like for the meme uh and also just like I really love the idea of sort of like uh like hey sometimes that's what it's like sometimes disillusionment just hits you like a fucking lightning bolt and and it's just there's no continuity to it like sometimes your dad who you think is god just disappears into a river and he's gone <laughs> that would have been amazing but unfortunately uh there are like 16 more endings this is like the fucking return of the king of movies yeah. that will never end this movie Except is still return actually- of the king is the return of, king of <laughs> movies that will never end I think this movie is actually still playing at the Trilon. Uh, the reel has not yet finished on the DCP. Uh, I will say I, I like how the ending is sort of an inverse. I mentioned this last night of There Will Be Blood, where like the opportunistic, um, uh, the, I guess, like 
idealist wants to is then killed by the preacher man by the again opportunistic preacher man nice fun inverse i have to assume that one movie was influenced by the other uh they're as they're leaving um on the port on to on a ship to nicaragua one of the uh one of the freight ships there's a shot of a bunch of them in the bay sort of scooching away and the first one sounds its horn at like a sort of solid resonant tone. And then the next one is an interval above that. That sounds much like thus, thus spake Zarathustra. And then right after that, like a fucked up version of that try of that triad happens. And it's just like, sort of sets the tone for, for the rest of the movie. Uh, this like just off of ideal, uh, reference to uh, like classic music really liked that. Uh, I was expecting it to go, but it, it didn't, it goes and fucks up like the, the beautiful chord that it's supposed to be. Um, and then I wanted to point out that this, uh, was remade actually as a TV series for Apple something, I believe. Yeah, and Starring just pretty bad. Yeah, starring, all right. Yeah, it was bad. Starring Justin Theroux, who actually is the nephew of Paul Theroux, who wrote the original who wrote novel. The bo- which is the weirdest case of nepotism. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's, it's just most... sort of like, I guess. <laughs> it's like, it's <laughs> 50 that, years later, you. It's like 50 years later, like you were, you're the nephew of a guy who wrote a book, so you get to star <laughs> in the Apple movie or the Apple TV series that goes for two seasons and wasn't reviewed particularly well. It's just sort of like, you know, that's fine. That's a version of nepotism that's just fine, I guess. I, it's, I, I'm sure I he did I, an okay job. I think I can bear that form of nepotism yeah uh well that will close out the junk drawer for now thank you so much y'all for your thoughts uh i'll open back up the uh good grief gift drawer thank you so much for giving me your gifts i'll start with cody uh i know that you've got an eye on the frame for what's going on in that movie uh, in that uh movie movie thank you so much for uh sharing sharing with me your uh, ideas for gifts for this movie this episode. This movie. Fuck, was this a movie movie? I thought yes, oh, this might damage. have been a movie movie. If it's two and a half stars or above, it's known as a movie movie. Oh God. All right. Well, I, I better bring it. Um, I I think probably just the one I, I was searching for it all, you know, as as I do coming into these movies. I, I because apparently I have an eye uh, on the frame for the frame uh, of these movie movies that we do. I was looking for it. There's nothing really that stood out as something that I felt really captured the visual style or like captured the sort of, um, I don't know the, the, like what the movie was doing from a subtextual level, but I did come across one. And once it happened, I was like, this is probably going to be my submission. Um, whether it's the only one or multiple, um, because I probably don't have multiple. I'm just vamping at this point, but it's when, uh, Andre Gregory comes back, uh, Reverend Spellgood, uh, comes back to Geronimo and he's, it's not exact. It's not like a split diopter shot or anything, but it's him at a distance, and then um, Ali walks into the foreground, and it's his hammer that's uh, that's on his like uh, his belt or whatever. Just like it's not like a big walk into frame, but he just looks like a cowboy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Ecstasy of gold starts playing. Uh, it's really um, yeah. No, I, I like that one. I guess if I, I I'll throw uh, one other one in. It's not really. It's it, the the shot of um, the the entire family, the the fox family, all the foxes huddled together in their tent. Just it's like a single lantern lighting the entirety of it. Nobody is looking pretty, particularly like joyful. It's a very uncomfortable looking affair. But everybody's in the shot. Um, I just thought it looked nice from. I don't know, just like the way everybody's spaced out. Not, nothing really beyond that. It was just so nice to see everybody there before the shit inevitably hits the fan in the uh, ensuing sequences. Um, but that would be, 
I think tiered like a little ways down. Um, I like my other one a, a little bit better, but those are my picks. Uh, a, a fascinating looking movie, even even if I don't know, maybe y'all saw different shots that I didn't. Um, Fat boy eating up the frame. Maybe he's a dark horse candidate, but that's what I got for now. I, I appreciate that. That first one, I think, must be like. The, uh, not to give it away, but probably maybe the one I, I it's not a movie full of like super iconic imagery. Well, that's um, fine. We're not even going to fucking give ours. Well, then, Jason, we'll, we'll fucking Fuck close you. the drawer. Then. <laughs> wow. No, I, I can't I, win the noties. I got to win something. I didn't know this was a competition. I thought it, Jason just picked it's his not own really, there are no, There's no all. way to win it or lose it. I have in fact, so no, you, you shout out who wins like every week on fucking, you know, that's Twitter. It's our, Fuck our, our lowest engaging tweets. Uh Oh, um, I will say, like, I had tried to, obviously, knowing that this bit is a segment, um, I tried to keep an eye out for iconic imagery and things that might make great gifts. I also was struggling. Uh, but there's one early on, I think it's when, like, when he resolves, it's basically when the idea is planted to go to, you know, the quote unquote scarecrow's wilderness jungle. Um, when he's looking at the migrant workers shack back in Georgia or wherever they were shooting it. Uh, and he sort of like puts his hands up on the, uh, sill of the window and it's sort of softly leaning in on his face the light is sort of like playing across his face and he just looks to the side it's kind of like one man in his obsession type shot uh which I, I really liked aside from that yeah it's the gun holster hammer shot that's just way too goofy it's way too fucking cart it's almost camp it's really really fucking goofy to watch that happen in the middle of the movie when you know like this man who's a villain has his own villain and he's going to be portrayed as like the lone star gunman against him that's just too fucking funny to ignore. Um, Harry, what are your thoughts? Uh, there's a really good shot when Fatboy explodes, uh, where we see the explosion reflected in Harrison Ford's eyes while he's screaming like, no! And like, I, I don't know how, but they like, they straight up just got like, you can literally see the explosion in like his pupils. He must have been wearing like mirrored yeah. uh, uh contacts or something um i thought that was a really cool shot he looks like one of the replicants in blade runner how they did that with um and then there's another one right after i think it's right after um the boat i don't remember exactly when it is but there's this moment where the kids are on the beach um right after they escape from the burning down um uh, Geronimo and like the I think all the kids are just laying on the beach and they're arranged in this like it looks like a renaissance painting or something where they're just sort of like very dramatically like laid out like they're like they're dead or something but they're just resting and like we see it from like bird's eye looking down directly and there's a real that's a really good shot I thought um so those will probably be my two I guess that leaves just one big boy to give his big old gifts it's me uh, 55 minutes, 45 seconds, Harrison Ford and his two sons uh, on the way trying to bring the ice up to the other tribe. There's a shot of Harrison Ford kind of pointing out at the jungle behind him. Uh, and then there's, you know, just like a little bit of that. And then there's like maybe two sh- two seconds of his kids just going like, just looking depressed and sad. And I think that's a nice. <laughs> that's about the, that sums up the movie. Yeah. <laughs> that's That's basically it. Yeah. Kids looking depressed, man staring at Jokey. <laughs> well, and, and Harrison Ford pointing, which is a hallmark of every Harrison Ford movie. In yeah. this case, he's pointing uh, jubilantly at the jungle he has yet to settle. Uh, thank you so much. That has been... <gasps> Good grief. Give me a gift. Maybe a poorly, uh, inaptly named segment, but appreciate your participation all the same we have one final segment to the show which harry needs to help me introduce we sure do jason it's the segment we like to call 
Cody's Noties. Wow. Thank you, gentlemen, for always preaching the good word uh, like missionaries. Get it? Uh, so my thought process going into this week, you know, obviously we're in the uh, the Peter Weir series and we've got another week maybe going in on Peter Weir's filmography. It's something we'll get to eventually. I don't know. And Harrison Ford seems, uh, you know, a little too easy. And we've probably, you know, we talk about him every week on this ding dang show. Uh, then I got thinking about uh, mosquitoes because I made a, an offhanded dumb remark yesterday as the qu- credits were rolling. I was like, hmm, expected to see more mosquitoes in this or however I sound. I was like, you know, mosquitoes, I don't know, kind of a weird angle. And then I thought, you know, I could go with, uh, you know, what my local humble search engine suggests for me and go from there. And with that, I invite us to embark upon the first uh, of question mark number of installments of the Try Love Autofills series. So I guess for the show notes, Jason, um, Try Love Autofills colon or dash uh, mosquitoes. I have dash noted down. So you can go with dash. We use colons a lot, I feel like, for these. So follow your heart. Uh, I'm extremely excited to introduce this concept, which has never been done before in any other medium uh, where I'm going to use the first part of a search result uh, as a, a means of branching off into questions that I'll ask y'all. Again, a 100% novel idea. The Nobel Peace Prize is in the mail, uh, I'm sure. Can't wait to receive that with my name etched on it. Uh, the keywords that we're jumping off from are uh, as follows. How many mosquitoes? So I'll ask y'all questions based on the suggestions put forth by um, whatever search engine I use, Ask Jeeves, something like that. Uh, and uh, so I'll present those prompts uh, one at a time. I'll use the Spinner app to determine the order for each question. You'll get a point for every correct answer or closest to the correct answer. And the person with the most points at the end will win. Trivia Mafia rules. Use your noodles, not your Googles. With that, let's go ahead and jump in. So for number one, I've got how many mosquitoes are there? So I'm going to interpret that as how many mosquitoes are there total in the whole world, planet Earth? Um, how many mosquitoes are there? And for our first guess, we've got Harry. So Harry, belly up to the bar. How many mosquitoes are there, Harry? There's no possible way to answer that question. You can answer <laughs> with a number. That'd be a good start. Uh, I'll try three trillion. Let's go with three trillion. All right. Three trillion. Got you down. Uh, next guess is going to come from the mouth of babes named Jason. Jason, how many mosquitoes are there? Wow. Uh, 500 trillion. I don't know. Jason is yeah, Jason is going with 500 trillion. There are, and- there are like mm-hmm. 6 billion in my front yard alone on a hot August night. So I'm just mm. multiplying that by all the surface area of the earth. That's a good uh, logical way to go about it. Uh, I bet you're really good at the like how many gum drops are in the jar type games. Gum drops mm-hmm. in the jar? Yeah, you see those all around. Aaron, how many mosquitoes are there? Yeah, yeah um, gumballs too. You put a lot of stuff in jars. Um, here, here's my thought process here. Yeah, you you naturally want to assume, okay, like a bagillion, b- b- biggest number of all time, right? But mm-hmm. I don't know, like specifically mosquitoes, how many parts of the world have tons of mosquitoes? Maybe a lot, but like, honestly, I don't He's about get mosquitoes to like here in cool Chicago. 6,000. Yes, 6,000, 7,000. No, I'm going to go. I wanted to go. I mean, it's certainly higher than three. Harry said three trillion, right? Uh, Harry said three trillion. Jason said five hundred trillion. I'm, I'm gonna split. I'm gonna go. Yeah, I'll go two hundred fifty trillion. 
just kind of split it. I think it's a lot, but I don't know if it's like, you know, yeah, I think I mean, I'm you good know, with that. A trillion's a lot. <laughs> That's a, a really big a lot, number. But like, when you think of mosquitoes and you're like the whole world and they're so small and there's like a billion, but it's like, are, are there mosquitoes in like certain parts of Europe? Like maybe not. I don't know. Like, you know, it's based on like where they breed and climate and all that shit. I don't know. I don't know. It's going to be like a quintillion or something. We're all going to look like assholes. Yeah, I'm sure it's it's way bigger than even your number. Maybe we'll see. So, Aaron, you said 250 trill. Is that right? Yeah, well, I'll split okay. the difference. Gotcha. All right. The the answer I'm getting from Sir Jeeves is 110 trillion mosquitoes. Uh, with, Harry was a smidge closer <sighs> with, with three trill. Pretty close. Uh, I was thinking about I mean, three we trillion and one. Wrong. I was literally thinking about <laughs> doing three trillion and one. I was, and I didn't, but it's fine. That's I don't I mean you're off by a you know a, a couple hundred trill here and there that's yeah that's a couple Jason front yards <laughs> uh something to consider but so Harry gets the point for that uh, moving right along to the the second prompt which is how many mosquitoes do bats eat so evidently bats love mosquitoes uh they try love mosquitoes and they're a huge component of their insect based diet. So we'll go with um, diet insect base. We'll frame it as how many insects do bats generally eat on a nightly basis? A lot of those are probably mosquitoes, but we'll open it up. Bats diet over the course of an evening. Let's spin the wheel. Uh, first guess is going to be Aaron. So Aaron, how many uh, how many insects do bats eat on a nightly basis? They're nocturnal. I'm not sure if you knew that. I feel like you'd need a lot. Uh, 200. All righty. 200 insects says Aaron let's spin that wheel to find whose number to landed on Aaron again that simply won't do uh this time it's uh we got Harry so Harry uh bats insects nightly basis how many so I this might be apocryphal but I remember growing up hearing that bats eat their body weight in insects every night or some bats can which is crazy but uh going off of that I'm going to go with like th- uh 100,000 which is probably 100. not quite their body weight but something like that yeah mm. 100,000 Are you saying a bat weighs double the amount that it did before it starts dinner? Are you saying a bat that's, eats that's dinner and then all, it's one pound and all of a sudden it's two? <laughs> it's in your body. What are you talking about? It literally is. It's literally, it eats its body weight. You're fucking weigh double what you did, bro. If you're right, I'm upset. What was your number? <laughs> he said 100, though. Uh, listener, you can't uh, you can't see it, but Aaron just made a good googly eyed face. We're getting some really good wrong. Folks you know, maybe this. bats just yeah, they just they I, just. I get wanted chunky to shout out. I said it in the in the jar, but your offhanded comment. You can put a lot of things in jars. <laughs> really, really got to me. I was really laughing Thanks. at that. You one. even good. said you put your comment in the jar, Harry. So a lot of things can truly hey. go in jars. Uh, Jason, how many insects do bats eat each night? Each night, I'm going to say Aaron's guess was 300. Was it two? Aaron said 200. I'm going to say 201. Come on, man. Jason, I, I literally I've never done that do to anybody on this ago. podcast, and I've had it done to me so many times. I don't think that's true. I'm I don't turning think that's evil. Accurate. Aggregating a few results I found, bats typically eat around 7,000 insects a night. Uh, Jason indeed gets the point <laughs> for that one. <laughs> Going to jail for that oh, one. Oh, yeah. But... I, I, saw, I didn't say 100,000, <laughs> yeah, Harry. You're right. <laughs> uh, um, so yeah, the, the quick look at the scoreboard, it shows that Harry and Jason both have uh, a point apiece. Uh, Aaron has come close a couple of times, but remains without a point yet still 
extremely uh, muchly anybody's game period uh question three how many people do mosquitoes kill we're going to go on a yearly basis so every year how many uh, human beings do mosquitoes uh I, I did like a cutthroat gesture dear listener uh aaron gets the first guess for this one yet again um aaron how many every year you, yeah, every year. How many humans are, are done in by mosquitoes? I think it's like a lot, man. I think malaria is still around, right? Um, 300,000. 300,000. Locking you in. Perfect. Our second guess is going to come from one Jason Daphnis. So, Jason, what do you think? 17,500 people. 17,000. 500 people and Harry, what do you think? I'll feel really bad if I don't get this one because I've written blogs about this before. Um, I think that they're je- technically like the most deadly uh, thing on the planet or something. Um, so I'm going to go with uh, 700,000 people a year. 700,000. Uh, mosquitoes cause the deaths of more people than any other animal, roughly. 700,000 each year, mostly Whoa. by transmission of and that's diseases. Why he's the best. That's why he's the in, the bug man. He deserves four points for that. Uh, well, th- this one is just one. Uh, but hey, maybe there will be opportunities to get more points later. Who's to say? I've, uh, I've, but been, yeah, well I've been done. waiting for insect-related trivia questions for hundreds of episodes I didn't. I didn't want to say it at the top, but yeah, kind of a bullshit hairy-leaning category in this case. <laughs> I, I well, mean, it's mosquitoes. It's not like beetles or also, whatever. To be fair, I did just last question say that bats eat a hundred thousand insects a night. <laughs> yeah, well, it's it's a little thing we call hustling. I, uh, I've just ma- always thought of it as like a, a net where they just open their mouth and fly around all night, and there's never a moment when they're not eating an insect. And they're <laughs> also like sperm whales or something. Yeah. And they just keep getting bigger and bigger. They like expand like a cartoon. <laughs> then they start constantly shitting, and then they're just <laughs> yeah, a perfect yeah, metabolizing exactly. organism. <laughs> It's a perpetual motion machine. Mmm, <laughs> gross. Uh, no, shout out to bats. Bats are very uh, cute and cool and, and underrated. Much like, uh, I was going to say mosquitoes. Mosquitoes are not underrated you guys at all. Hear I wish a, they would go a away. a bat fact yes. that traumatized me deeply? I, with a bat when fact. I was in uh, junior high, uh, we watched um, a movie about, I believe it was cave-dwelling bats in South America, and thousands of uh, baby bats die um, in caves every year, drowning in the shit of other bats, because the, the caves get so full of bats that uh, there is no surface area for them to dwell on, and so literally shit will rain down from the bats that are hanging upside down onto baby bats uh, who will then die from it. So, rough. Wow. I'm a different person from knowing that, and I don't know if there's any coming out of this. It certainly wasn't for those poor bats. A question for how long do mosquitoes live? Uh, We'll do, for the purposes of this question, we'll do male mosquitoes. So how long do male mosquitoes live on average? I'll spin the old wheel here. And we've got Jason with the, the lead guess. So um, if you're, hopefully you've, you've recovered from that devastating bat fact and can provide us with a guess, Jason. I'm, I appreciate uh, time to recuperate and uh, reflect on the bat fact, uh, but I will submit a guess of 20 hours for male. It, it is striking to know that male and female mosquitoes have different lifespans. And I have no idea what to predict from that, but 20 hours. 
Fair enough. Uh, 20 hours is Jason's guess. Got that locked in here. Uh, moving along to Harry, who will give us the second guess. Well, which genus are we talking about, Cody? <laughs> just We're kidding. Generally uh, speaking, this is a uh, fucked up <laughs> Cody's noties fucking segment. All right. This man uh, wrote 9,000 blogs it's on true. bugs. I'm going to yeah. go with, uh, um, and I don't really know, but like 72 hours, maybe? I remember it being longer than I thought. I don't really know. Well, you you can venture a guess uh, better than I'm not venture yeah. a guess. This isn't the SAT. You're not going to lose. Do- I, I did say seventy two hours. Yep. I, I yeah. I got you. I got you. Right, cool. yeah. I'm I'm going to do a cheap maneuver. I apologize, but baby's got to come back up. I'm going to do one second less than uh, seventy two hours. <laughs> one second less than yep. seventy two hours. Roger. Dodger. So, uh, male mosquitoes live, uh, and again, aggregating a few different answers from as many species as possible. Uh, but six and a half days is the measure a for week was my male mosquitoes. Yes, yeah, it's uh, wild. The, the, the reason and I, one and second I, less than a week would have gotten me very. <laughs> Why do you think uh, about that next time? Uh, females um, live, generally speaking, longer. Uh, the figure that I came around to was about six weeks on average, and presumably from the caregiving, laying eggs, um, all that good stuff. Whereas males are, I don't know, fighting the good fight, getting swatted at by by uh, Jason. They have to Sky be fertilized over yard. and over again. <laughs> those female yeah. mosquitoes. Uh, uh, well, that's uh, another bat fact: mosquito version. Um, but yeah, so it's uh, Harry was closest, uh, seventy-two hours. Man, Aaron, you could have said one second longer than seventy-two hours. <laughs> and- In- incest too. Think about that. So I, fe- I, I, female yeah, mosquitoes. Counterpoint. I'm not going to think about that. <laughs> over uh, and over and over again, they're being impregnated by their great Alrighty, awesome. So as much as uh, keep it up here, you're going to lose some points. Like right this. now, you're at three. Uh, Jason's at a point. Uh, Aaron still has a, a fighting chance. Still has yet to get on the board as we head into as we head into the final question, which. Uh, weirdly enough, the the fifth most frequently like auto generated, not auto, like suggested fill in for that uh, for that space was how tall is Helen Mirren? So the closest answer gets three points. Uh, next closest two, and then next closest after that one. So uh, how tall is Helen Mirren? Is uh, again the fifth most uh, mosquito related uh, question that Jeeves wanted to put forth. Jason gets the first go at this. Jason, how tall is Helen Mirren? Helen Mirren is. Five foot eight and a half. Five foot eight and a half. Gotcha. Locked in there. Uh, let's spin that wheel. Uh, gave me Jason again. For the, I'm not going to read too much into that. Uh, Aaron is our next guest. So how? Oh, and he does not like that. He is Harry and I are uh, just deciding who wants to go up, who wants to go down. I think right. Mm. I'll go down. You know, yeah, I'll go unless Harry's going to fuck me and go five. Seven and a half, but then ah, she has a commanding presence. I'm gonna go five eight. Aaron is going. Aaron is going five eight, which brings us to Harry. How tall is Helen Mirren? Sorry, what was Jason's guess again? Jason's guess was five foot eight and a half inches. Gonna go five seven and a half, Cody. Thank you. Harry is going five foot. Why seven and a half? As I uh, from it, uh, a, a point <laughs> specifically is what I'm looking for. Uh, one point, two point, or three points. But if she's above that, then you okay? It's fine. Is it fine? 
We'll find out in a couple seconds. So I'm just doing some final uh, tabulations here. And I'll, to get ahead of it, I'll just say thank you. I hope you all have gotten your autofill. Uh, going off a few sources on the internet, Helen Mirren is allegedly five foot four. Jesus. Uh, so, so Harry, uh, closest, Aaron, second closest, Jason, third closest. Aaron and Jason come out of this with two points apiece. And Harry almost ran the gauntlet. He did not go, uh, he did not go perfect for these, uh, but he got a six out of a possible seven points. For you know what's fucked game. up is that uh, I had a client that did bat removal, so I wrote a lot of bat blogs too. So I really should have, yeah. I should have known that. The fix was in. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I apologize that I didn't run the gauntlet. We'll Sick get them next time we do a bug related episode, <laughs> which will be never again. Never. Uh, oh no, we're oh we're seeing the Mosquito Coast, the, the Apple Plus series. The next Mosquito week. Coast. Oh too. no! Ah shit! Pixar's a bug's life. <laughs> <laughs> what the bug? Little bug. <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> We've got, uh, that was the pop-off platform, I guess. Uh, thank you so much, listener, for uh, joining our episode uh, on the Mosquito Coast. Thank you, Cody, for ending our episode. I was always on a wonderful, uh, jaunty, uh, up, upbeat, buggy note this time. I'm looking forward to another edition of Try Love Autofills. Seems like it's got a lot of a lot of gas in that tank, but we'll see how far it takes us. Thank you so much, listener. Uh, check us out on tri- on Twitter at Try Love podcast find the trial on a trial on cinema and a trial on.org a lot of cool stuff coming up at the trial line but don't take my word for it go to trial on.org check out the schedule check out the merchandise check out the calendar check out the series a lot of other cool shit to find there um harry did you end up getting any tickets to horrorathon this year i did yes Woo. Uh, i will be the creep in the back he's gonna be there see him uh whenever that happens in october uh, i went once and had a, a hell of a time i think maybe it'll be another couple years before i'm able to go back just through sheer tenacity and yeah I, yeah I had a little bit of a good nap during uh, critters too well go back to our episode we did a whole fucking episode too. about this yeah. with with seth uh when aaron was in town that one time uh but Hey, go in the backlog, uh, check us out uh, and, uh, based on any episode that you uh, have seen the movie for. Don't recommend going into our backlog for a movie you haven't seen. Uh, I've done it, and uh, it's not much fun. Check it out, though. Uh, our back episode's 250 almost episodes of that. Can you believe it? It's a, it's a wonderful world. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, check me out. I'm Jason Daphnis on Twitter at Nintendoofus. Yeah, check him out. I will not be attending the Horathon, unfortunately, uh, this year. Hope everybody has fun who attends i will be uh funnily enough in chicago that weekend so that is what's happening i've been cody narvis and you can find me on twitter at cody underscore bh and and uh and b sky b B sky at cody narvison i don't know do you just uh, somebody tell me if that's how handles work just search you gotta do yeah yeah the first part's fine cool well the first part's fine uh, special thanks to bugs, except for mosquitoes. Fuck mosquitoes. Fun fact, uh, scientists don't know why mosquitoes exist in nature, except possibly to kill human beings. Like, that might actually honestly be, like, a natural countermeasure to I feel a re- the proliferation a real, of... A real kinship to them now, yeah. Yeah. Uh, fuck uh, imperialism. Fuck mosquitoes. Uh, fuck the intersection of those things. What Bill Gates wants to do with mosquitoes. Look it up. Uh, it's fucked up. It's bad. Uh, I've been Harry Mack, and you can find me on Twitter at PunishTake. My name is Aaron. You can find me on Blue Sky at RB Please. Uh, Cody did give an incorrect fact earlier. He said that mosquitoes were the number one most dangerous animal in the world. Number one most dangerous animal, folks. It's Chuck Norris.
Nobody loves America more than I do, you know. That's why we left, because I couldn't bear to watch. You kids have got to understand this. Like when my mother died, she'd been strong as an ox, fell down, broke her hip, went into the hospital, and caught double pneumonia. She's laying in bed dying, and I went over and held her hand. She looked up to me, and you know what she said? Why don't you give me some rat poison? Poison.